The Holy Gospel according to St. John, the sixth chapter. Glory. Do you, O Christ, Lord? Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. But as I told you, you have seen me, and still you do not believe. All those, all those the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never drive away. For I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of my, who, him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I shall lose none of all those he has given me, but raise them up at that last day. For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life, and I will raise them up on the last day. At this the Jews there began to grumble about him because he said, I am the bread of life that came down from heaven. They said, Is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How can he now say, I came down from heaven? Stop grumbling among yourselves, Jesus answered. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws them, and I will raise them up at the last day. It is written in the prophets, they will all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard the Father and learned from him comes to me. Now, no one has seen the Father except the one who is from God. Only he has seen the Father. Very truly, I tell you, the one who believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness, yet you died. But here is the bread that comes down from heaven, which anyone may eat and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I give for the, the life of the world. This is the gospel of our Lord. Praise, Praise to you, O Christ. to use um, PowerPoint with my uh, sermons, but you don't have PowerPoint. So I had printed an insert, which I don't think showed up in the bulletin. Oh, you got it? Okay, good. Suzanne's didn't have it. <laughs> so I'll refer to the slide numbers. There, some of them are missing because they were just blanks. So to get it on one page, I left those out. That's good that you have it. Now, I only have 47 pages. No, not really. <laughs> Seven, okay. This sermon, as you can see in there, is titled One Way. Uh, I mean, have you ever been frustrated in a conversation with somebody where you just wanted to tell them, you know, they named streets after you, one way? <laughs> I have, I know. I had a person in my life that thought that they knew how to live my life better than I did. And in fact, they went so far as to take action on my personal affairs without my consent or knowledge. 
In reality, many people throughout time have insisted on having things one way, their way. Maybe in this age of entitlement, it's our kids that are insisting on having things one way. You got it, their way. A friend of mine, a single mom, uh, was struggling with making ends meet. I'm sure some of you have experienced that feeling of not enough money and too much month, right? So she asked her children to, uh, to give her a, a handout around the house, right? But <clears throat> the reaction that she got was from the daughter was, but mom, you're supposed to take care of us. Now that might be acceptable for a, a 10 or 12 year old, but the girl was 24 and had a job and the son was 18 and he was employed as well. Entitlement, the kids insist on having things one way, their way. For some people, the insistence on having things one way, their way, extends to insisting on salvation one way. You got it, their way. Some want to believe that it doesn't matter what you believe as long as you truly believe it. And in others, they believe that all roads, all faiths, all religions lead to the, the same place, heaven slash a.k.a. salvation. Have you ever considered that God wants and insists on having everything one way, his way? Fortunately, God's interest in what is best for us he desires the best. He loves us perfectly. However, he insists there is only one way for us to gain salvation, and that's God's way, his one way. Today, we're going to look into what God's way, his one way is. In order to discover God's way, his one way, we're going to look at what the Apostle Paul said is God's way of salvation, the only way he has and we can receive salvation the only possible way to know for certain that salvation is ours. We find Paul's teachings in the, on this subject in Ephesians chapter 2. Evidently, Paul's congregation, there were a few people insisting on having salvation one way, their way. Let me read a, a portion of Ephesians and, um, to you. If I can get to it here. My fingers don't want to work. Starting at verse 4. But God, being rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ by grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. If you look at um, verse 5 there, he tells us that uh, we've been saved by grace. Then Paul repeats it again, uh, exactly what he said in verse 5, but he doesn't stop there. He adds some other qualifying remarks. Look at the verse 8 and 9. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this not from yourselves. It is a gift of God and not of works, so no one can boast. The grammar indicates that the this refers to salvation by grace. 
Let us examine what is not God's way, the, his one way. The answer is in the qualifying remarks. Paul says that the means, the method of providing salvation has nothing to do with anything concerning us. We are not a part of how it is provided. Look at verse 8 again. Not from yourselves. We cannot offer anything of ourselves, so we can't give him something in exchange for his gift of salvation. He owns everything, including us. He, God does not owe us anything. We owe him everything. There's nothing within us that impresses him. Not our good looks, not intelligence, not our heritage, nothing. Although some of you might qualify on good looks. Oh, wait a minute. He gave us everything that we are, so that doesn't count. God is holy, holy, holy. He's totally set apart from everything else that there is. There's no one, nothing like him. <clears throat> He's perfect in every way. And that's what he expects from us. On the other hand, we're all sinners, corrupt in every way compared to God. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. What about God, good works, good deeds? God says works don't cut it. They are of no benefit as far as salvation is concerned. The reason God does not accept good works or good deeds is twofold. He does not allow boasting. Look at verse 9. Not by works, so no one can boast. And the second reason is apart from Jesus, who can, <clears throat> we can do nothing. In John 15, you, the parable of the vine tells us that. And even the Apostle Paul realized that he had the inability by works, and it also extends to us as well, to achieve salvation through good works because of our bondage to sin. Sin which only Jesus can free us from. All boasting about ourselves, our good deeds, is sinful pride. <clears throat> if salvation could be obtained by good deeds, how would they be judged? By a panel of judges like on American Idol or the Olympics and holding up scorecards? If so, God's requirement is a perfect ten all the way across to his law. And none of us are perfect. We cannot save ourselves. We have nothing to do with how <clears throat> salvation is obtained, to, uh, provided to us. Works, good deeds are not accepted because of boasting. It's not allowed and perfection is not in us. Bottom line, we can't save ourselves. <coughs> Sorry, we get a little dry throat. So what is God's way, his one way? The good news of the gospel is that God himself provided our, uh, for us, uh, for our salvation. We are saved by God's grace, the rich mercy and abundant love of God. Look at verse 8. For it is by grace you have been saved. Now to help visualize that, I have this coin here. And the one side is God's grace, <clears throat> and the other side is his mercy. They're two sides of the same coin. By his grace, we get what we desire, salvation. By his mercy, we don't get what we deserve, punishment. And like all precious coins, they're, they're forged out of precious metal, like gold, silver, or platinum. The precious metal of God's grace and his mercy is the precious blood of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who was crucified and rose from the dead. 
It is by his death and resurrection that Jesus provides the means, the method by which God can provide his grace and his mercy and still be a just God and a loving God. Amen. And the good news is that this gift is a free gift. All you have to do is receive it in order to take advantage of it. Receive it and it's yours. Amen. I lost my spot here. Okay. Look at, <clears throat> look at verse 8 again. It says that uh, it's a gift of God. It is such an extravagant gift. Its worth is beyond measure. We could never have purchased it for ourselves. It's too beyond our means. God pray, paid for it with his blood. Jesus did. He, Jesus is God. If we tried to obtain it, say, with our riches, our good deeds, it would, be, it would not be a gift. It would be a purchase or, at worst, an attempt to bribe God. If either the giver or the receiver attaches strings or conditions to the gift, then it's a bribe. And if we say we are owed the gift, it becomes an obligation like the wages of our work. A gift is only a gift if it's freely given and freely received. Salvation is a gift of grace and mercy forged in the precious blood of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Christ made it possible through his death and resurrection. Amen. How do we receive the gift? As we said, it's a, it's a receive it by putting aside all the things that you thought you were saved by and putting your trust in the one who made the promise that your sins are forgiven. Look at uh, verse uh, 8 again. For by grace, through faith, this is God's only way, his one way. I can hear somebody thinking in their head, why can't uh, I just love God and he know that I love him? Hmm. Good sentiment. He, this assumes that God needs our love. God does not need anything. If he did, whatever supplied that need would be God instead of him. God does not leave, need our love, but he desires it. He already loves us perfectly before we existed. He can't love us any more than he already does. Love is only part of God, who God is. Among other things, he's also a just God. And in excessive exercising his justice, there's no way that he would acquit the guilty or dismiss the case or throw it out or just ignore it. If there was no need for justice, Jesus would not need to die on the cross. If there was no love, there would be no reason for Jesus to die on the cross as well. 
Jesus' death and resurrection is the only way God can be both just and loving in giving us his gift of salvation. There is only one way to be saved. We cannot save ourselves. God's way is his one way of salvation is by his free gift of grace and mercy forged in Jesus Christ's precious blood. And to receive the gift is to, to receive it uh, in faith, putting our faith in the promise of the one who made the, the promise, our Lord and Savior, Jesus God, Jesus Christ. Let me tell you about a friend of mine. His name is Bob. Name changed to protect the guilty. Okay. As I go along, I will point out the things that made him think he was saved, a Christian. He grew up in a Christian family, ancestry. He went to church with his family on a regular basis, membership. He knew and believed all the Bible stories, knowledge, we call it intellectual assent, acknowledging truths about Christ and salvation. He was generous, good deeds. He got married and had three children and took them to church. Again, membership. He had a problem with the congregation he belonged to and told his wife, we're out of here. We can be good enough without church. Good works. Bob became a director of a computer manufacturer and had the power and the authority. He had 150 people, employees, working for him. He reported directly to the vice president of operations. One word from him would shut down the whole company. He had all the toys and money, a sailboat, a Class A motorhome, and plenty of money to spend on anything he wanted. He was conducting Bible studies at work during the lunch hour, and all the trappings of worldly success were upon him. He must be a Christian. Look at how God's blessing him, and he even studies the Bible. But then, one Sunday morning, while Bob was sleeping in late, it was not a Sunday morning, a Saturday morning, he wouldn't sleep in on Sunday. Not. A loud, stern voice woke him up. Bob, you're going to lose everything. Bob responded, okay, but not my family. Can you imagine in negotiating with God on what would be or not be? One year later, after Bob had laid off the 150 people working for him, it was his turn. He was 50 years old, out of work, for the first time in his life. No income, no power, no authority. He had lost everything except his family. He was humbled. Now God had to get tricky because Bob had not attended church for more than 10 years and God wanted him to hear the gospel. Think about it. God, uh, Bob thought that he was already saved, but it was a false piety. It was all externals. There was no heart righteousness. God inspired Bob and his wife to build a home-based business. Now, this business held uh, quarterly meetings, and that's where the trick comes in. At these meetings, they would hold a non-denominational service on Sunday in the auditorium. If you went to church, you got to stay in your seat instead of going back outside with five or 6,000 other people and then having to fight for your seat. Bob's only goal was to get a good seat. Well, the third time he did this, Bob heard the gospel with his heart and he accepted God's gift of grace by salvation by grace and mercy. Finally, Bob was saved, a saved Christian. 
God's way, his one way, his only way. Now, for those of you that think that once you you're, are a Christian, your life is going to be perfect from then on, fast forward to today, 29 years later. Bob lost his little Jesus, little gods, you know, the, the motorhome, the sailboats, and all that type of thing, and the money that he could spend on whatever. And for 22 of those 29 years, he was out of work, at least no W-2 type jobs, except for the difference between 20, seven years out of that 29. However, God was faithful and did provide income for him, always just enough in the checkbook. Now, if you think that I just made this story up, I guarantee you it's a true story because Bob is really me. That's my sorry story. You see, there is only one way, God's way, his one way to salvation. Salvation is God's gift of grace and mercy forged in the precious blood of our crucified Christ. All the glory belongs to God. Amen. Now for those of you that have already accepted God's gift of grace and mercy, remember that there may be one of the old me sitting right next to you in the pew that hasn't yet received that precious gift. Make sure they hear the gospel so the Holy Spirit can awaken them to the need to accept God's gift. And for those of you that have already received the gift, I ask you to ponder on the great love that God has for you and what he's already done for you. And just thank him by loving him back. Amen. There's always the question of uh, assurance. How can we be sure that we're saved? Can we trust God's promise? The enemy will lie to you. Satan wants you to remember everything that Jesus has already forgiven and forgotten. For example, my mom, Viola, lived with Suzanne and I for the last 18 months of her life in, in hospice. Near the end of the, the time, one night she woke me up screaming in fright. As I held her in my arms, she told me that God doesn't want me. She was terrified. I told her, someone's lying to you. God's desires that none should perish, but all should repent and be saved. You can find that in Ezekiel 18.32 and 2 Peter 3.9. That gave her peace, and she was able to go back to sleep. God has kept every promise he's ever made, and there are still more to come to fruition. God can make and keep his promises because, one, he cannot be overpowered. He is Elohim, almighty God. Nobody can overpower him. He cannot be overruled. He is the name above all names, Adonai, supreme sovereign. He is immutable. He doesn't change. He's the same as he was and is and will be. So he's not going to change his mind on salvation, yours or mine. He's eternal. Now, when we make promises... We can only keep them as long as we're around to keep them, right? There's sometime we're going to be with him and not here. But God 
is eternal. And he's been there since eternity past, and he'll be here at eternity future. So you don't have to worry about him disappearing and somebody else taking over for him. He's truthful. He can't lie. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And in verse 17 of, our, um, of Ephesians 2, oh, no, I'm sorry, so, um, and in John 6, 47, Jesus says, I tell you the truth, he who believes has everlasting life. That's from the NIV. Bow your hearts, your hearts in an attitude of prayer, please. Heavenly Father, help us to perfect reflect you and your love to the world around us so that those who are lost will come to know you by the power of the Holy Spirit. To that end, please clothe us in your grace, your mercy, your patience, your kindness, your humility, and your meekness, your forgiveness, and your long-suffering, that we might reflect you in the most favorable light, bringing glory and honor to both you and your kingdom. Let your kingdom come, Lord Jesus. Amen.